So uh, I got the short straw, as it were, because uh, I don't know if you got your midweek email and read it, uh, Trevor was going to be sharing this morning, and uh, he came in on, uh, on Friday when Bruce McEvitt and I were having a bit of a session and says, I'm not sure I'm going to make it on Sunday. And so, uh, so as, I, as I said, on yesterday, Peter uh, gave me a call and said, Ron, do you think you can share the little message that the Lord's been speaking to you about? So... It wasn't that I started from scratch yesterday because in reality, for some months, God has been speaking to me about something. And um, it, it started, you know, many years ago, a little while ago, I shared with you a little bit about my testimony. And just to remind you again of that, I wanted to do that uh, this morning. About eight or nine years ago, uh, the Lord brought me through a very, very significant time in my life. Basically, my life as I knew it started falling apart. My daughter's uh, started making decisions that were really quite contrary to what I thought I'd instilled in them, and that was an enormous challenge for me. My business that uh, I'd been running for some years started unwinding, and I was losing money like there was a big hole in my bank account, and I just couldn't stop it. In church life, my ministry got a, a blow that I just couldn't understand why God had allowed it to happen. It wasn't that I had done anything particularly wrong, it just you know, once again, it was uh, the situation occurred that it was taken from me, and I just I really wrestled with God about that. And because of all these tensions, we had to move house, and and uh, our marriage started to uh, ex- you know experience probably one of the most difficult times that Misty and I have uh, endured in our 36 years of being together. So it was a pretty dark time, and of course, uh, the first thing that happens for me is if I'm in a stressful period of time, is I stop sleeping. So I would get up, and, uh, and I would, most nights I would prostrate myself before the Lord and just cry out, Lord, Lord, help me, you know, this is just terrible, I need your help. And then as time progressed and I realized that, you know, God was wanting to do something in my life, I started calling out to him, I said, Lord, change the way I live the rest of my life, so that I can truly spend, you know, I'm... 50-something, or at the time I was about 45. You know, I've got a few years left. I want to spend the rest of my life with the right priorities riding above, you know, everything. And so for 18 months I did that, and uh, basically there was two strong messages that God put in my heart over that time. The first one was that I would spend the rest of my life learning how to love like Jesus loved. And the second was that I would bring as many of the people that I care about along that journey that I could. And friends, you as my CFUH community rank very highly on that list of people. And so most times when you see me up here, you'll you'll get a, a message that's wrapped around that whole area of learning to love like God loves. But today I ask you not to switch off because you've perhaps heard it before. Because I, in, in my, you know, really, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. You know, most days there will be parts of my day that I think, how does loving God actually express itself in my day-to-day life? How, as a, you know, person doing what I do, how will I learn to express the love of God? And most times when we think about love, we, 
we think about you know, doing things for loving other people. We think about doing things for people, don't we? We think about caring for them in a way that means that we you know, might help them through something or we might you know, extend some love to them in the midst of a difficult time or we welcome them when they come into the door and that, that sort of thing. We think that way. But the Lord has been speaking to me, to me about another area that I think we often neglect. And that's the whole area of being vulnerable with one another. You see, there's a verse that we're going to use as our theme verse today. Mel, I wonder if we could put that up. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Now, we've all read that bit, haven't we? And we know that well. But the part that really speaks to me or has challenged me is by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, when I think about that, and I think about all of the non-Christian organizations around the world that are deeply caring for people, they're giving of their time, they're giving of their experiences, they're giving of their gifts and abilities, but they're doing that without being centered on Jesus. So even if we as a body, as a community of Christ lovers, Christ followers, are expressing love in that way, how are we actually different to those people that are doing the same kinds of things? You know, if we were a really caring community, and I think we're growing in that, if we were out, you know, caring for the lost, caring for the lonely, caring for some of the people that are really close on God's heart, how would we be doing that differently? When we meet together as a community like this and in our small groups and in our one-to-one interactions, how would we love one another? How would we care for one another differently than our non-Christian counterparts? That's been a question I've been wrestling with for some time. And there's a, uh, a woman, a doctor, a, a, a research doctor, who had a fantastic talk on TED. I don't know if you've ever listened to TED Talks there. I won't go into it. But anyway, she's a, a very well-respected researcher on human interaction. She has done theses on it and all that sort of stuff. Her name's Brenny Brown. And throughout this little talk of mine, I'm going to be referring to a talk that she gave on vulnerability. And so, Mel, I wonder if we could have that first clip up, please. Because I am interested in some messy topics, but I want to be able to make them not messy. I want to understand them. I want to hack into these things that I know are important and lay the code out for everyone to see. So where I started was with connection. Because by the time you're a social worker for 10 years, what you realize is that connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. This is, this is what it's all about. It doesn't matter whether you talk to people who work in social justice. So, you know, this woman, from all that I can gauge, and I've listened to a couple of her talks, doesn't come across like she is a Christ follower. But she has discovered something that Jesus talked, taught when he was here amongst us. And that is that the most basic need for the human race is to be connected to other people. 
And if the most basic need of human of the human race is to be connected, what is the attribute that connects them to one another? Okay, do we accept that human connection is the most important and most basic need that we all have? Do we accept that, friends? If that is the case, what is the connector that connects the human race to one another? I think the Bible teaches us that the connector is care, isn't it? It's love. It's, I mean, the Bible calls it love, but when it's talking about that kind of love, it's not talking about the love that a man has for a woman, although that's an important aspect of love. You know, we in the English language only have one word for love, really. But when the Bible talks about love, it has several different flavors of love. And the kind of love that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this kind of love is the caring for one another, the, the giving up of one's life to, to care for someone else, to give, uh, to seek to meet someone else's needs. So this is the kind of love that we all need to have in our lives. We both need to receive it and we need to be able to give it. And if people don't have an opportunity to do that or to receive that, then what happens? Their lives become dead. And so we see in our country some of the highest rates of uh, suicide because there is not enough love in these people's lives to give them hope for the future. And if they don't actually kill themselves, what ends up happening is they have dead lives. And friends, I've seen alive people walking around with dead faces, you know. You see it sometimes on the television when, uh, you know, news items talk about people who have, you know, are so alone, who have lost everything. Some of these children who have lost their parents in war-torn situations, you know. They've, nobody loves them anymore and their faces are so pitiful. And it just grieves me when I see that because, you know, we all need to know that someone cares and that someone loves us. So let's consider a couple of questions. First of all, if love is important, sorry, we've, I've missed a bit actually. So the first question that I wanted to consider, why is love so important? We've just gone through that, okay? So the, the, the reason why love is so important is because it is such a basic need, we don't operate without it. The second question that I'd like to, to, uh, to consider is if the way we love is going to be a primary indicator in which the world around us will recognize us as Christ's followers, how does our love appear so different? than the love that is expressed in the world. Okay, so let's consider that second question. I really am losing myself a bit there. One of the challenges of only having a day to prepare. I'm sorry, friends. Okay, so let's listen to uh, Brenny again because I think she has some really great insights into this as well. Not getting any 
The joy of taking Because I always go into this kind of Jackson Pollock crazy thing where I'm just like <laughs> writing and, and going and kind of just in my researcher mode. And so here's what I found. What they had in common was a sense of courage. And I want to separate courage and bravery for you for a minute. Courage, the original definition of courage, when it first came into the English language, it's from the Latin word cur, meaning heart. And the original definition was to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. And so these folks had, very simply, the courage to be imperfect. They had the compassion to be kind to themselves first and then to others, because as it turns out, we can't practice compassion with other people if we can't treat ourselves kindly. And the last was they had connection, and this was the hard part, as a result of authenticity. They were willing to let go of who they thought they should be in order to be who they were, which is you have to absolutely do that for connection. The other thing that they had in common was this. They fully embraced vulnerability. They believed that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. They didn't talk about vulnerability being comfortable, nor did they really talk about it being excruciating, as I had heard earlier in the shame interviewing. They just talked about it being necessary. They talked about the willingness to say, I love you first. So I believe this woman has discovered in her research something that Jesus taught us many years ago, as I said, but that we often forget. So if we want to be a Christ-centered group that is different to our non-Christian counterparts, we need to be identified, as Brenny called it, as part of the wholehearted group. And she talked about those four areas or characteristics of the wholehearted group, and I want to look at those in a little bit more detail. First, they had courage. If we can just put that word up there, now that'd be good. First of all, they had courage. Remember her definition was to be able to tell the story of our lives with our whole heart. In other words, they have the courage to be imperfect. Do you know, friends, so often I see myself and some of the friends who I know what's going on in their lives walk into this place and we act as though everything is just kosher. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want other people to think that maybe our lives, our marriages, our work situations, we don't really want to express our pain and the difficulties that we're going through amongst each other. But in order to experience true connection with people, courage to be able to express where we're at, our imperfect lives to one another, is an essential characteristic. The next important characteristic they had was compassion, or to be kind to themselves first, because you can't practice compassion to others without first being kind to yourself. Now, you know, that's almost straight out of the Bible, isn't it? You know, love one another. Uh, you love one another. You know, love yourself as you love. Uh, no, oh, sorry. Love one another the way you love yourself. You know, you've got to love yourself first 
so that you can really express love and care for one another. Thirdly, they had connection as a result of the authenticity in their relationship with others. They were willing to let go of what they should be in order to be who they were because they have to do that in order to connect deeply. So we talked earlier about the importance of connection and the, one of the vital characteristics of people who enjoy deep connection is that they are able to let go of who they should be in order to be who they were because that's an, an, an important aspect of being able to connect. And finally, they fully embraced being vulnerable because they believed that made them that what made them vulnerable also made them beautiful. So then, why are Christians able to experience these or express these four attributes more ably, more with with greater commitment and with greater ability? Why are they able to do that than our non-Christian counterparts? First of all, because we profoundly and deeply know that we are loved by God, we can have greater courage in being able to express our vulnerability because we know that whatever happens, God loves us and he knows every intimate detail about our lives and yet still he loves us with enormous passion. Secondly, we are confident that when we are authentic with our friends, they will display compassion toward us when they hear our story. So we have the confidence to be courageous in sharing our story with authenticity, and then we experience the deep connection with the person or people we share with because we have been vulnerable instead of saying what we think They want to hear about us. Friends, this is the crux of what I want to share this morning. So I want to repeat that one more time. We are confident that our Christian family, our Christian community, will display compassion toward us when they hear our story. So therefore we have the confidence to be courageous in sharing our story with authenticity and then we experience the deep connection with the personal people we share with because we have been vulnerable enough instead of saying what we think they want to hear about us. Can you see how this amazing cycle works? It's not that we straight away start sharing our deepest, darkest secrets with one another, but we start with a small secret. And then we experience the the compassion, the acceptance of where we're at and then we, we feel a greater sense of connection with that person so that we feel more confident and more courageous to share a little deeper. And then as we share a little deeper, we feel still greater connection. And then we start that cycle again and again until eventually we can be truly open about ourselves with one another. And friends, there is no greater relief then letting go of the secrets that we hold in our hearts about our lives. I've seen this outwork itself I don't know how many times. Just this week I was 
with one of my uh, friends from the community meal, and he had a deep, dark secret that he didn't he hadn't shared with the pastor of his church because he felt he would be rejected. And we talked, and this this had caused some challenge, and so we talked about that, and uh, we went and visited him together. And he shared his secret with his pastor. And I'll call him Jim for the sake of the thing, uh, for the sake of the story. The first thing the pastor did is he says, look at me, Jim. Look at me in the eyes. I want you to know something. I love you more now than what I did before because you've been willing to share the secret with me. And friends, instantly, there was a connection that took place between those two men that wasn't there before. And I'm sure that you have experienced that same sense of connection with someone when you share that story. And it's one thing about our secrets, but it's also about our needs and, and the areas that we get ourselves, you know, the, the areas that, that start to concern us in our lives. This vulnerability needs that. A couple of weeks ago, we had one of our congregation members come to us and say they had a real need for a financial issue that was coming up in their lives. And so within a few days, we rallied around a few folk and we were able to meet that person's need for a significant amount of money. And what happened when they experienced that generosity from us as a community? Instantly, there was a deeper sense of connection, a deep sense of gratitude that we as a community loved them enough to be able to meet that need. And I could go on story after story about people who, and myself, who have been vulnerable enough to share some of my challenges with people. And instantly I've experienced that connection with that person that I shared with. In fact, today I want to do that with you all because I think it can really help if people who come into this place experience vulnerability from the front here as well as from amongst us because that too creates a connection with people that only vulnerability will experience. And so I want to tell you a little bit about one of the challenges that I face on a day-to-day basis. I'm a very proud man. It comes out in all sort of areas of my life. Just last night, for example, I was with a group of really close friends and we started talking about things that are really important to us. And straight away I get into this mode of, I know what I'm talking about. You listen to me. There wasn't a sense of, you know, this is what I see, this is how I view this, this subject. No, it was authority, it was strength, it was, you know, this is, I'm right, you're wrong. I see it in the way that I interact with people, you know, um, in my work situation. Some people think I'm arrogant because of the way that I express myself. I know what goes on in my head, the thoughts I have about myself. And I hate it, friends, but it's been with me all my life. I've laid it before the Lord many times, and I sense a small improvement as I get older. But it's still very, very much there. 
So that's a struggle that I live with, and, and I'm grateful that God is working on it. But it's something that I live with every day. So what's just happened when I've done that? Well, first of all, it's helped me. You know, it, when you cannot stay the same when you are vulnerable to a group of people. It makes it lighter. It also means that more people are aware that you are working on that, and so it gives you real incentive to continue to work on that in our interactions. What's going on with you people? Well, I know that I've sat in the congregation many times when people have been vulnerable, and have I ever judged them? No. I've always recognized my own fallenness, and I've appreciated their honesty and their vulnerability. And what that's done straight away for me when I've been in the congregation is it's given me a greater sense of connection with that person. Sometimes in our open services, people have been so open and so honest, and I have so been connected to those people because of that. Have you experienced that too, friends? That's the benefits. That's the result of vulnerability. And friends, I believe that if we as a congregation, as a community of God's people, can grasp hold of this aspect of loving one another the way Jesus would love us, we will experience not only something amongst ourselves, but we will be known as a body of people that are Christ followers from the people who come in and visit our community. They will say there is something special there. There is something unique amongst those people. Because I can tell you it doesn't happen in worldly situations. Non-Christians, they just have to guard themselves against the things that are vulnerable in their lives. Because otherwise they could be rejected and their lives therefore don't count anymore. In In their eyes, their lives don't count anymore. And they start to bit by bit become more and more dead. And so the the courage needed to actually express that vulnerability is too great for them. Because Jesus loves us as an underlying fundamental foundation in our lives, and because we know our community has compassion, Christ's compassion toward us, we have the opportunity to have the courage to share with one another our life stories. Friends, will you be the first to say I love you despite the risk of not knowing where that relationship might lead? Will you be the first to say I'm sorry? I did wrong. Will you reach out to your home group when you have a real need in your life instead of trying to tackle it on your own? We ask for help from suitably qualified and trusted people when your marriage is going through crisis and you need some outside input. There's so many opportunities to be vulnerable, friends. So many ways in which this outworks itself. 
And I wonder if we can spend just a moment in silence and ask the Holy Spirit just to speak with us about ways in which, you know, areas of our lives that he wants us to start to be more vulnerable in. Instead of coming here or to your home groups or to your various interactions as somebody who basically has it all together, we know you don't. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a crazy thing. We know, you know, the people who meet you, the people who meet me, you know that I don't have it all together. You know, my life has got its enormous challenges. So why can I not share it when I know that you will be compassionate? Let's close our eyes for a moment. and Just ask the Spirit to be with us as we meditate on this, contemplate this area. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the work that you're doing amongst us in this area of vulnerability. I thank you for the people that are reaching out in, in our congregation, in our community of people for help. I thank you for the people who are being honest to us. And I thank you for the privilege of connection with people. Lord, some of us really struggle with this. Will you help us? Will you help us this morning, Lord, as we, as we contemplate our lives and our vulnerabilities? can we finish just by reading a verse of scripture together that really sums all this up as I said Brenny Brown hasn't discovered anything new the author and creator of all things discovered this because he was the one that designed us and one of the verses that he explains this so well is in 1 John 14 verse 18 uh, sorry, 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment or rejection. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Yeah, yeah that's the foundation that we talked about. We are able to love, first of all, because he loved us. There's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God. Can you see the compassion here coming in? The reason why we can be courageous and share our vulnerabilities is because we know our brothers and sisters will love us. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love our brothers and sisters. God bless you as you consider this aspect of loving one another.